grow up, I want to be a helicopter pilot. I want to be a pirate because pirates get treasure. When I get big, I want to wash the windows and go make a lot of money. I want to do stuff that I really like that makes a lot of money. A grown-up man. They don't make any money. <laughs> and all God's people said amen right there. Um, <laughs> Name is Brandon Ziski. If you're a guest with us, hey, we're thrilled to have you. We want to let you know a little bit about who we are as a church. Um, our heartbeat, our DNA is that we want to be a church that's simply about Jesus. We believe that he's the one that changes everything. And so that when you encounter him, it, it literally revolutionizes your life. Um, real quick, before we move into the sermon series uh, this morning, um, at 12.30, right after the service, we're going to be having another little family gathering. Uh, we had one last week. We were talking about uh, where we're at as a church and where we're going as a church and kind of how you can be part of what the Lord is asking us to do and be. And so I want to encourage you to be there. If you weren't with us last Sunday, please, um, if you can, be there today. Um, even if you have questions, you're invited to come back. You can ask your questions. I'll do my best to try to answer those questions. Um, okay. So we are now in this series called Respect the Beard, and it's been kind of a fun journey for me because a lot of people uh, were trying to figure out what exactly was the beard. Like, people didn't realize that this was going to be a sermon series. They're like, what do you mean? What's the beard? Like, are you going to, like, showcase a beard? It's like, no, no, no. It's a sermon series because what we're going to discover, it was a symbol in ancient Israel. A lot of, like, even today, Orthodox Jews, they still do it, and it was a symbol that showed itself to be a bridge that would bridge the gap between the mind and the body. So it was this beautiful image of wisdom, which is why a lot of times they would do that. They were also told in the Old Testament to not cut their beard, but it served as this, as this bridge from the mind to the body. Not only do we know the right things, but we're going to do the right things. And so that's why we're calling this series Respect the Beard. And so when you hear me say Respect the Beard, that's being used in the sense of we need to not only know what's right, we need to do what's right, okay? And so I thought, hey, let's have some fun because life is too serious. Let's have a beard of the week competition. So we asked the church to submit people, um, pictures of people with really great beards. Um, and so I just thought, hey, this week I'm going to take, you know, the opportunity just to show the church what beards don't qualify and what beards would qualify as a really majestically awesome beard. Okay, and so I'm telling you right now, if you want, I, there's going to be a winner every week. And it's going to be a $50 gift card to something, so you're going to want to submit these pictures, and you can do it real quick, hashtag AOC, respect the beard, okay? So I want to show you some beards that are not awesome, no offense, mine wouldn't be included in that, okay? So here's Mike, some of you might know him, might not, um, just it's not there yet, okay? It's not there, plus the picture's creepy, okay? <laughs> so it's just, it's just not, right? So next we got um, Stephen Hoffman. Uh, some of you know him. He, he uh, teaches sometimes up in our youth. You might be second guessing that because it looks like a mugshot, right? It's just like, it's not there. Now, however, you can tell this man is loaded with potential, right? Like that beard probably could be like, you know, rival Paul Bunyan. Um, here's one that does not work either. Tyler, I don't know if he's in the room or not, but it just doesn't work. Now, some of you know this gentleman. He used to be part of our church. Now he's leading worship at another church, uh, Mr. Rowell. It's getting there. It's getting there. And his, what's really great is, you know, in contrast to my wife, who's asking me to shave my beard, his wife said, grow that beard. I was like, that's a really good thing. Okay. 
I'm in trouble. So here's the winner, okay? This is what we're talking about, okay? Now, I don't know this guy, okay? So here's, here's the deal. If you're going to take a picture of a stranger, I suggest you get his permission, okay? So here's what I did. Is I was, uh, I'm a bit of a best, ball, best buy-aholic, kind of a, a little bit of a problem, and I knew Black Friday's coming up, and they like to, you know, lower the prices of their really big TVs, and I like to, you know, envy over them and drool over them and hope I have them. As I was walking out, I saw this guy, and I went up to him real quick. I was like, hey, can I take a picture of your beer really quick? He's like, why? I was like, well, um, our church is running a competition. to do." He's like, oh, okay. So I went, took it real quick before he could say no, walked out. I'm going to find him this week and say, hey, buddy, here's your gift card. Our church loves your beard, okay? So if you see him, if you go to Best Buy here at Sunset Valley, just tell him, awesome beard, okay? So please submit those beards so we can have some fun and laugh a little bit. But the reality is, as funny as some of these things are, this series is going to be a really challenging series because we're going to be looking at some of the gaps that we have in our lives, okay? We're going to be looking at from the gaps that we have between what we know and what we do. We're going to respect the beard. We're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs, which is this collection of wisdom, right? And it has been given to us by what we know to be the wisest man to have ever lived besides Jesus. The heart of this series, I'm going to say it over and over and over this morning, the heart of the series is to grow in godly wisdom, to close the gap from what we know and what we do. One of the things that we have to confront in our culture is that wisdom has nothing to do with what you know. We confuse wisdom with intellect, okay? It's not the same thing, right? Like I had a friend in college and high school who was probably the most brilliant person I ever met. I mean, like I remember this freshman year in college, he was telling our physics professors at the university new equations to some of the problems they were presenting. I mean, he's brilliant, but he was a fool in how he lived. There were so many things that he did. I was just like, how can this be? You're so brilliant over here and not so brilliant over here, right? That's wisdom is the gap of applying what we know to be true, okay? It's the skill in godly living. And so we're going to be looking at Proverbs for these next few weeks, and we're going to be looking at how to grow in wisdom. So let's start this morning by looking at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. This is important because we begin to understand who wrote Proverbs, Okay, and I just want to give us, give us a, a quick overview of who Solomon is. Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. That's self-explanatory. Solomon was the son of King David. In fact, his mom was Bathsheba, which it wasn't the most uh, healthy relationship origins. Like, it just wasn't a good thing. But he became the next king of Israel. And so when he was anointed king, he was roughly about... 12 years old. And when his reign began, he was in between 18 to 20 years old. So he was a young man when he was given the keys to the kingdom. Okay? So here's what's fascinating. In 1 Kings and in 1 Chronicles, we see this, this dynamic or this uh, play between God and Solomon. And if we were to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7, we, we are told here that God showed up to Solomon in a dream. And in this dream, he basically give Solomon like a blank check. Solomon, ask whatever you wish and I'm going to give it to you. 
Like, I just started thinking about this because, like, our, our kids are watching Aladdin, and I'm thinking about the genie and the three wishes. And I started to ask myself the question, if this was me, if I was in Solomon's shoes, what would I really ask for? And I had to be honest. Like, okay, if God came to you and said, hey, ask me anything, and I will give it to you, what would you ask for? <laughs> right? Like, 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 I'm tempted I'm tempted, like, to go, wealth? You know, I'm tempted to say, like, you know, even, like, health. You know, maybe not just for me, for some of my loved ones. Like, there was this, like, really silent thought, and don't laugh or judge me, but I was like, man, I really would like to be taller. Like, that was just one thing. Or, like, it's always been this inferior complex. Like, I'm not yet six foot, but I want to be. You know, so I was like, okay, get me there. But I thought, no, no, no. Here's what I would ask for, that my wishes would never run out. Come on. Come on. All right. I thought that was brilliant. Here's what Solomon says. You have shown great and steadfast love to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. O Lord God, let your word to David, my father, be now fulfilled, for you have made me king over people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Like you can tell, okay, he's in here between 18 and 20 years old. He's feeling overwhelmed by the task at hand. Like, he's knowing his place. And we even have, like, stories of kings about that age who are like, you know, I'm going to make my name great. I'm going to exert my authority and my power. I want to be wealthy and rich and all this type of thing. He's coming in at a different perspective. In fact, in 1 Kings, it says that he says, I am a youth. I don't know my way around, in other words, is what he's saying. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and to come in before this people for who can govern this people of yours, which is so great. He's feeling overwhelmed by the task, and he's asking for wisdom, and I love God's response. He's like, okay, because this was in your heart, and you didn't ask for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, right? Like, he didn't ask for revenge or, you know, and you have not even asked for long life. You've asked, give me wisdom and knowledge to go out, or, I'm sorry, I went backwards there. But I have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. I love that. God's like, listen, because you didn't ask for all of these other things. You asked for wisdom to lead my people. I will not only give you wisdom that will surpass the wisdom of everybody else. I will give you wealth that will rival anybody. I will give you honor. I will give you prestige and position. Even those aren't the things that you want. I will give it to you. And so we know that Solomon, because this is what God's word tells us, and even great scholars, Solomon was the wisest person ever. And so he's going to give us these beautiful sayings of wisdom that are practical for all of life. In fact, if we were to equate Solomon's wealth to today's standards, he would be a trillionaire. There was no one like him, and there will be no one ever like him when it comes to wealth. He could, in, in one check, write off and pay off our national debt. Like, that's how wealthy Solomon was. And this is why. We as a family, we're going to walk through the book of Proverbs together. We have some resources that we're going to give you and inform you with next Sunday to encourage you to journey with us through the book of Proverbs. And the challenge is basically to read one proverb a day. So there's 31 Proverbs. There's 31 days in the month of December. We're brilliant. There you go. One, one chapter a day. Easy. Okay? We're going to have a plan on version, so you can download that app. If you're not a digital type, we'll have print material for you. That way you can take it with you. 
And as you study Proverbs, what you're going to discover is that there's wisdom and insight and knowledge for every area, every aspect of life, from marriage, relationships, to work ethic, right? It's going to talk about like ambition and laziness. It's going to talk about the words you say. It's going to talk about bitterness. It's going to talk about all sorts of things, okay, that we can learn from. But here on Sundays, what we're going to do for the next Sundays until the end of the year, we're going to be looking at what Solomon has to say about finances, about wealth. Now, I know as I just said that, there's some people who are thinking, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is my first Sunday at this church and they're talking about money. My fear has been confirmed. They just want it. I want to poke a hole in that for a moment because the reality is The Bible talks about money more than any other topic, right? And so I've used this illustration before, and I just want to pull it up real quick. A lot of times when we start thinking about money, we only see what we see on the surface, but the reality is there is so much more below it, right? The Bible is very clear. The reason why God talks about money so much, it's not because he needs your money. He doesn't need it at all, at all. He just knows that money is oftentimes the number one competitor for your heart. There's anything else that draws you away. There's anything else that causes stress and anxiety and just kind of makes your mouth salivate and create covetousness inside of you. It's money. It's there, and he knows that. In fact, if you go all the way back to Genesis in chapter 1, 2, and 3, and 4, you're going to look at the story with Cain and Abel, and they're presenting offerings, and you go, well, where did they get that from? They learned it from mom and dad, Adam and Eve. Well, where did they get that from? Obviously, God said, this is how we're going to do life. Why? Because there's something deeper that we need to understand. And so the issue is not the issue. We're not talking about money. We're actually talking about the heart. And so that's where wisdom comes into play. Because wisdom is saying, hey, we know some things, but in order for it to be wise when it comes to our finances, We need to bridge the gap between what we know and what we actually do, okay? So let me propose it this way. If I were to tell you that Warren Buffett was going to be here for the next five weeks, and he was going to have 45 minutes every Sunday, and we're going to have this dynamic Q&A, he will even come to your house and sit at your table and answer every single question you have. He'll look over all your portfolios, your money, everything, and he'll give you everything he has to tell you about how to manage your finances. What would that be of, would that be of value to you? Guess what? Solomon is way better with finances than Warren Buffett. So we need to hear what God has to say about it. Now I know, I know, it's a touchy subject. I get it. I get it. That's because it's tethered to our heart. Okay? It's tethered to our heart. And I've heard this so many times, so many times. Brandon, why are we talking about money? Because isn't money like the root of all evil? The Bible says that, doesn't it? No, it, it, it doesn't. It's not even close to that. We got to understand something about money. Money is neutral. Money is a neutral player. Like, in fact, if we were to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, it says, now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. And when we look at this verse, what you see in this word contentment, that's a relationship word. What the Bible teaches in regards to wealth and finances is always going to be in the realm of what's your relationship like with money? What's your relationship with it? 
Do you love it more than God? Does it control you more than God? Do you stress out it more than you should? Is it causing anxiety and all these other things? Does it make you lust and greedy and all this kind of stuff? Like, what does it do? Does it make you, do you go into debt because you want and you don't have? All these types of things. It deals with the relationship of it. And the call for a biblical understanding of money is contentment. Is being content. It has nothing to do with how much you have. Okay, look at this. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, will we be content? But for those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into the ruin and destruction. Now, that's not saying the pursuit of wealth is bad. It's what he says next indicates what makes it bad. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's the relationship. You love it more than anything, and you just got to have it. You've got to go after it. And you're willing to compromise and sacrifice so many things for the sake of it. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Money is neutral. Money is neutral. We have to understand this. Money is neutral. There's nothing bad with having a lot of money, and there's nothing bad with not having a lot of money. Right? There's some common thoughts within the church or there's this scarcity mindset, like an only way to be godly is to be poor. Well, that's not biblical either, right? And we were skeptical to those who have wealth, but here's the reality. When the Bible looks at this issue, here's how they see it. They always break it up into two camps, the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, we're not necessarily talking about salvation, like it's Christ's righteousness that's been imputed upon us, and that's what made us right with God. Like, that's surely part of it, but we're looking at it, the Old Testament concept that means right living, living right in the eyes of God. And so when it looks at wealth, it always places people into two camps. There's the righteous wealthy and the unrighteous wealthy. There's the righteous poor and the unrighteous poor. It has nothing to do with the amount. It has everything to do with the posture and the relationship you have with money. If you look at the Old Testament, we have many righteous wealthy people in the Old Testament. Abraham, Moses was there for a season of his life. David, Solomon, we have righteous, um, rich people in the New Testament, Joseph Arimathea, who owned the tomb where Jesus' body was laid. Barnabas, the, the encourager in Acts, he was a wealthy, uh, righteous, wealthy person. In Acts 4, the very last verse in Acts 4, it says that he sold some of his land so that he would distribute the proceeds to those in need. The unrighteous wealthy are those who abuse other people to get ahead. Right? They, they abuse the poor. They enslave other people. They cheat the system. They cut the corners. They evade taxes. They're willing to compromise morals and ethics and even relationships and manipulate situations to leverage their own gain. They're willing to go after wealth at any cost. Like that's the God. That's the thing that drives their heart. Jesus is clear, right? He says, where your treasure is, you're going to know right where your heart is. It's a relationship. We see in the New Testament the righteous poor. We even see it in the Old Testament. For instance, um, in the New Testament, Jesus, he gave honor to a widow who gave a mite in the, in the, the tithing, in the offering bucket or basket in the back. Other people were given more money than her, but he, he honored her and said so she gave all that she had. She gave 100%. It had nothing to do with the amount. It had everything to do with the posture of the heart. And by the way, God prefers percentage giving. We'll get into that later. That's free. You can take that to the side for later. Jesus was a righteous poor person. He didn't have assets. He didn't have real estate. He didn't have land. There's unrighteous poor people. 
We're going to see this in Proverbs. You're going to see, you see, even see it in the New Testament. The, the lazy person, the sluggard, the one who's not going to work hard, the one who's going to be dependent upon people for giving stuff to them. They're the ones who waste money and, and, and just waste. They go into debt above and beyond what they can handle. The unrighteous poor person is someone who gambles away their money in hopes that they will gain riches. So again, money is neutral. It's about the heart. It's about being righteous or unrighteous. That's how Proverbs looks at wealth. And so that's going to be the question, is how do we handle it? How do we steward what God has given us? Because the Bible is clear. Money can be a tool that's used for great good in this world to advance his kingdom and his initiative forward. And let's just be honest. Like The reason why we don't like to talk about money is because we don't want someone to tell us what to do with something that is so close to our hearts. But it's the number one competitor for our hearts. So, Proverbs. It's a book on wisdom. I'm going to tell you what a proverb is and what it's not. Proverbs are a, it's like a guide for living. They're rules for life. They speak into things that would generally happen. Okay? They're not promises, but they're laws. Right? So, they're, like in life, there's natural laws. Yes? Like gravity. That's a law. That's there, regardless if you believe in gravity or not. Gravity doesn't really care if you, um, how you feel about it. It doesn't care if you think about it, because gravity just is. It's a law, right? It, it affects you no matter what you think and how you feel about it. That's how Proverbs works. It's this wisdom from like a father giving it to their son, or, or a mother giving it to their daughter. It's speaking, this is how life is. Right? There's going to be this opportunity and this path. There's going to be the simple. There's going to be the foolish. There's going to be the wise. But here's how God has designed life to work. So listen. Put yourself underneath the instruction of the Lord. This is how it is. Rules for living. They're descriptive. Okay? They're not promises. It's not what always happens, but what generally happens. Okay? And so, for instance, a lazy person... Like, generally speaking, a lazy person doesn't accumulate wealth. But just by chance, a lazy person could win the lottery. Right? So it's not a promise. But Proverbs are rules of life. They're general things that happen. This is the way that life normally happens. And so as we dive into Proverbs, you're going to see three characters show up in this whole letter. Okay? The first one is this. You have the simple. Okay? Who are the simple? The simple is the person who just doesn't think. Doesn't think about life. They have convinced themselves that their actions are not related to their consequences. They think that somehow they can divorce what they do from the consequences. Life just happens. They choose to be naive or ignorant over a certain issue. That's the simple. And a lot of times in Proverbs, it equates the simple to, to the young, which isn't fair, but oftentimes that's more true than not. Right? You can be a simple person and yet be an adult. So here's an example. Uh, I took my wife out on a great date last week. Um, it's always a privilege to take my most beautiful wife out. Am I out of the, out of, out, out of the doghouse now? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so we got home and <laughs> our babysitter told us some things that our little sweet little angel Addie did while she, we were gone. And we come to find out that Addie somehow got a pair of scissors and went up to her room and chosen to grab certain 
articles of clothing and cut them to shreds, put them in her desk, and put water on them. So I came to Addie. I said, Addie, what were you thinking? And her response was, I don't know. Simple. Okay? Sometimes in my marriage, our marriage, I will do things that will upset or hurt my wife or even cause disruption to the family. And my wife will ask me, honey, why did you do that? And my answer is, I don't know. Simple. That's the simple, okay? They're just, they're the ones who don't think things through. They haven't given time to process certain things. They oftentimes lack common sense. Now, the other character that we see is the foolish. Now, the foolish is different than the simple, okay? Because the simple doesn't have knowledge. The fool has knowledge. The foolish, they know what is right. They just choose not to do it. That's the foolish. Knowledge isn't lacking. They have all the knowledge. They understand what is right and what is wrong. They just choose to go their own way. They choose their opinion over God's standard, over what God says. That's the foolish, okay? They're the ones that don't respect the beard. They don't bridge the gap from what they know to the body, okay? Then we have the wise, and they're the ones who respect the beard. They're the ones that take what they know and they put it into action. That's the wise. So all throughout this series, I'm going to ask you these questions. Which one are you? Right now, in this issue, which one are you? Are you the simple, the foolish, or the wise? And if we were honest, the answer is yes. There's areas in your life right now, you're simple. That we just choose to be naive and not know, not understand. And we even want to believe that there's, there's no direct consequence related to what we choose to do. And there's areas in our life, if we were honest, where we're foolish. We know what's right. And yet we're still choosing not to not do it. And yes, like this is great. By the grace of God, there's areas in our life where we're wise. We know what's right and we're applying it, okay? So throughout this journey in Proverbs, I want you to be thinking that, okay? Am I simple? Am I foolish? Am I wise? Specifically, as we talk here on Sunday, when it comes to finances, am I simple? Am I foolish? Or am I wise here? And here's the beautiful thing. God's wisdom is always giving us opportunities to get right back on the right path. And we're going to see that right now as we start to understand what does wisdom look like, okay? So Proverbs chapter 1, verses 2 through 7. And these verses, we're going to see all three characters show up, but we're also going to see what is at the heart of this book of Proverbs. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, there it is, you can circle it, underline it, and then look at they throw in the youth under the bus. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise, okay, here's for the wise, hear an increase in learning. Wise people love to learn instruction. Wise people are teachable. They will willingly put themselves underneath the authority to learn correction, to learn how to adjust, to make their lives better. And the one who understands, obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now check this out. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Another part in Proverbs, that knowledge word is, is interchanged with wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now look at this. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So Proverbs is going to give guidelines and knowledge and insight for living to the simple. You haven't thought about this before? 
listen to my words. Let me give you some things to think about. To the wise, they will hear these things and they will grow in their wisdom because they understand that wisdom is humility. Yes, correct me. Yes, get me back on the right path. Now, if you're foolish, you're going to despise me. You're going to despise God's word. You won't receive it. You will argue it. You will critique it. You'll be frustrated at it. You will get bitter with it. And you might not even choose to come back. But here's the thing. God's word is so gentle. It's like, listen, if you're choosing the path of foolishness, here's the warnings. Here's the things that you can expect to show up in your life. Here's what I love. In its simple Hebraic meaning, the word wisdom means this. Skill. Skill in the art of godly living. That's wisdom. That's how the Bible understands wisdom. You will never find it in here, ever, that wisdom is knowing stuff. That is not biblical at all. When it talks about being wise, it's always thinking about growing in the skills of bridging the gap, of respecting the beard from what we know in the head to how we live it out. That's wisdom. And that's why I love verse 7 where it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it all starts. The fear of the Lord. That's where salvation even starts. Because the idea of the fear of the Lord is not like he's some benevolent dictator, mean guy that just wants to point his finger in your chest and let you know that you've been doing wrong your whole life and lightning bolts and fire are going to come at you at every single angle. That's, that's not the fear of the Lord. It's understanding that I'm wrong, you're right, I can't, you can. That's the fear of the Lord, and that's the beginning of wisdom. That's where we start to understand the gospel is when we understand this. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm foolish. My whole life is a train wreck apart from Jesus. But not only is it the doorway into wisdom, it's also the path when we, by which we walk out our faith. The fear of the Lord is a beautiful image. It's this picture of parenting. It's, that it, it's an image of like a, a, a son or a daughter looking up at mom and dad. They, they respect mom and dad. They, they ought to honor mom and dad. They know their role in this relationship. They know that mom and dad, in theory, right? Mom and dad are the authority. And that what mom and dad says goes. And that what mom and dad does is for their benefit and for their good. And that they can trust mom and dad. That's the fear of the Lord. That's the concept. So when we talk about wisdom, it has to start here. You're God. I'm going to put myself underneath your authority. You're the one that spoke everything into being. You measured the whole earth by your wisdom. Everything is established by your wisdom. The rules of life have been established by your wisdom. I've, I'm wrong. I've chosen foolish things. You're right. So I'm going to submit myself under your correction. That's the fear of the Lord. That's where it all starts. Now, let's just be honest for a moment. The fear of the Lord is a painful process. Yes? Think about it. It means you have to admit that you're wrong. Proverbs is clear that wisdom is beautiful. Wisdom is priceless. It is more precious and beautiful than anything else in this world. People, we should desire wisdom, but why don't people go after wisdom? Well, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which means we have to say, I'm wrong, God, you're right. 
It's humility. The fear of the Lord is putting yourself underneath the Lord's discipline, underneath the Lord's correction, underneath the Lord's redirecting and guidance in your life. That's the beginning of wisdom. And that's when you start to grow in the skill of godly living. So I want to tell you three things about wisdom that are important for us to know and understand as we live out and embrace this series. First, wisdom embraces humility. Wisdom embraces humility. You can't be wise and proud. You can't be wise and arrogant. It just doesn't work biblically speaking. Because if fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that means it's a posture of humility. And think about it this way. Humility is just accepting the reality of the circumstances. Right? Humility is saying, I know who I am and who I am not. I know who you are and who you are not. It's trusting God and others with who you really are. It's not hiding. Right? That's what pride does. Pride pretends and hides things and it paralyzes us. It makes us think that we're better than what we are. It's like we don't want to bring things to the surface and admit the areas where we're simple or we're foolish because we don't want to be exposed or be seen as something other. That's what pride does. But wisdom embraces humility. Wisdom chooses to place itself underneath the Lord's correction to speak into the areas of our simpleness, to speak into the areas of where we've been foolish and to embrace it and to love it, to understand that this is the right way. This is where life is. This is where godliness comes. Folks, hear me. Real wisdom is the only place where real life change happens. You cannot receive Jesus and not go through the path of humility. Like, you you just can't. That's the gospel. I am a sinner worthy of God's wrath and death. There's nothing, not even one ounce one shred of good thing that I could do to ever earn anything with God. He did it all for me. That's where life change happens. That's where it starts and that's where it begins and that's where it will continue to happen is there in that posture of humility. That's where life change happens. Pride wants to do everything in, our, in its power to keep you pretending and hiding and paralyzing you. For instance, Years ago, when I was just like a senior in college and just getting out of college, there were sin issues in my life that were like just wreaking havoc on the inside. But however, I was choosing to be foolish. Like I knew what was right, but yet I was choosing to not do the right thing because I was proud. I don't want people to know. I don't want to be shown as weak. I don't want to admit that I can't figure this out and do it on my own. And so I would just kind of keep stu- you know, stuffing it down. People would ask me, Brandon, how you doing? I would give the old, I'm good. I'm good. And not deal with it. And it would just sit there. And I remember one time reading God's word and I stumbled upon James 1.21. And this verse says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, or another word, receive with humility the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And I remember reading it and just like, like feeling like I'd just been grabbed in the neck by God saying, listen, you can choose to continue to be foolish, and if you do, your life is going to be damaged. Or you can choose to receive my word, which is for your good and for your benefit. It's my love. It will lead you to life. Folks, let me ask you the question, which one takes more courage? 
Pride or humility? Which is easier? Keep it hidden and pretending like it's not there or choosing to accept the reality of the circumstances and bring it to light? Because God's word is like, hey, my word told you that if you confess your sin to one another, you will be healed. My word says in 1 John 1, 5 that I'm faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And like, if you're afraid that I'm going to leave you, my word says in Romans 8 that, you know, there's nothing that can ever separate you from the love of my son, Jesus. Receive with humility the word. I've given you the word. So now you've got to choose. I'm not telling you, when I chose the path of humility, I experienced liberty and empowerment and freedom. Wisdom embraces humility. But also wisdom desires to walk with the wise. Wisdom desires to walk with the wise. Proverbs 13.20 Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. The Bible says in another way, like, you know, bad company corrupts good character. We teach this to our kids. Be careful who you hang out with. Be part of the good crowd. Because we understand something instinctively that we forget as we grow up. That we're creatures of imitation and everybody and everything is rubbing off on us all the time. You're not immune to that. So what I'm not saying here, nor is God saying avoid people, avoid foolish people. That, if that's the case, we have to avoid everyone. That's not what he's saying. Yes, we want to love everybody, but we need to be careful of who's influencing us. Now here's what's beautiful about the church. We have thousands of years of wisdom from God's word, right? But not only that, in this room, in this church, all three services, actually all four services, we have people who are further along in the game than you are in your marriage, relationships, work, you know, in your speech, in your conduct, in your finances. And there are people in this church who are behind you that need you. So we need to submit to one another. We need to be honest with who we are and learn from one another. That's what's beautiful about being in a multi-generational church. That's what's beautiful about being in a small group is being able to share your life with one another and to learn from one another. But the only way for that to happen is if we're willing to embrace humility. Same thing happens with God's word. The more time you spend in God's word, guess what? It rubs off on you. And over time, that whole, the Holy Spirit is going to start to grab your heart and it's going to make you want to, you know, respect the beard and close the gap between what you know and how you live. And you start to talk about it with your friends and your small group and you pray about it. And it starts to grab you. And so, <laughs> as I was thinking about this, I was like, you know, I'm going to take my a shot in the dark and write my own proverb for the church. I'm going to show you <laughs> how far away I am from Solomon. Check this out. This is good. Huh? Right? Parenting 101. There it is. You want to know how to do life? We got Proverbs. This is how life operates. It's wisdom. And that's why we need respect the beard to close the gap from what we know to what we do. And that's where the last part of wisdom shows up. It's the bridge. Wisdom is the bridge that connects it.
It's the skill in godly living. It's applying what we know. So in this series, as we continue, like our friends over in England, they say over and over in all the signs, over and over, mind the gap. Think about it in your life, in your areas. On Sunday, we're going to talk about finances. But look at other aspects in your life. Marriage, relationships, ethic, laziness. Anything. Where's the gap? Be aware of that gap. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wherever you're at right now, like think about this, this word beginning, God knows we're not wise. He knows that. Like God isn't looking to work with people who have it all together, right? He's not, he, he's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for people who are willing to respond to him. I mean, look at this proverb. 123. If you turn at my reproof, if you put yourself underneath my correction, and you, and you hear what I'm saying, and you turn, you get back on the path, you repent of your foolishness or your simple ways, and you get back, look at this, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you, and I will make my words known to you. That's his promise. So wherever you're at this morning, like we got to understand, this is God's gracious heart to us saying, listen, it's like a father to a son. I want you to get it. I want you to understand the things that are going to come at you in this world. If you turn, if you listen, if you humble yourself and hear my reproof, I will pour out my spirit. It will empower you to embrace humility. It will empower you to bridge that gap. I will do it for you. The, The Bible is a beautiful book. In the New Testament, it says that those who think they are wise must become fools. And what that means is if we think we know the right way and we know what's best and what's right, we need to embrace humility, which was considered foolishness back then. And as you think about this, I want you to reflect on the man who went on the cross named Jesus. When he was hanging on that cross, the world was looking at him saying, you fool. Look at this guy. He said he was God, and there he is. The Roman world thought it was foolishness. They thought Christianity was foolishness. They even taunted him on the cross like, you say you're God, come on down. Save yourself. It's foolishness. And here's the thing. Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom who died for fools so that we could have life. You need to know that God loves you and that when He speaks His correction and His love and His word to us, it's it's love. He disciplines those He loves. He corrects and leads because He wants us to understand life. Father, I thank You. Thank You for Your word. I thank You that it's not opinions 
but it's established. It's eternal. It's fixed. Lord, I ask that you would give us the, the strength and the courage and the confidence to place our trust in you, knowing that you give these commands and you give these rebukes and these reproofs out of love. You shout out an invitation for all to hear to embrace wisdom. So Lord, I ask that you would give us discernment where we're simple. Give us discernment to see where we're foolish. And Lord, would you help us to continue to grow in areas where we are wise. Lord, we want to close the gap between what we know and how we live. You say in your word that wisdom is attractive. It's beautiful. It's radiant. It reflects your son, Jesus. May we be a wise church. Church, I want to encourage you during these next moments as we sing our hearts back to God. You can use this as an opportunity just to sing your heart back or just let the words uh, minister to your heart. You can sit and pray and reflect. You can grab a Bible and read. But I want to encourage you to make the most use of this time. We do things a little bit different here than other churches because we see in Scripture that worship is a response to revelation. It's a response to what God is doing in our hearts. And so we want to give you the space to respond to God. And so just do what you feel that the Lord is calling you to do and use this time appropriately. So Father, I do ask that your Spirit would minister to us. Lord, your Spirit is the guide, is the comforter, is the perfecter of our faith. So Lord, we give ourselves to you now and we say, speak, Lord. In Jesus' name.